This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 308, A Conversation with Colin Bunn. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 308. Wow, are we already at that big number, that lofty number that everyone always aspires to, episode 308? Apparently we are. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is our Conversation with Colin Bunn episode. Colin is the writer of The Sixth Gun. Uh, he's currently writing Sinestro, Lobo. Uh, he's the upcoming writer of Uncanny X-Men, so he's got a lot on his plate. Uh, and through the past few years, he's written a, a lot of projects for both Marvel and DC. So we'll get into that in a moment. Just some housekeeping first. If you like to email us, you can do so at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also you can listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, upcoming episode, next episode, or well, non-reviews episode, episode 310, will be our conversation with Howard Mackey as we take, as we take a look at the acclaimed writer's history as uh, the creator of Ghost Rider, well, the second Ghost Rider anyway, the uh, the Danny Ketch version, as well as being a writer of Amazing of the Amazing Spider-Man, although not specifically the Amazing Spider-Man title, but Adjectiveless and uh, we, uh, Web of Spider-Man back during the 90s, as he has the distinction of being a writer of Spider-Man both before, during, and after the Clone Saga, which is uh, an interesting distinction to say the least. Uh, so that'll be a good episode coming up uh, next week. But first, let's get into our conversation with Colin Bunn. Colin, thanks for joining us today on Comic Shenanigans. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being part of the show. Uh, every uh, every time we have a guest on the show, the first question we'd like to ask is, uh, what was your experience with comics growing up? What was it about comic books? Well, uh, you know, I think comics have always been a, a pretty big part of my life, uh, you know, going back as far as I can remember. Uh, I grew up in what I consider the golden era when I could... Uh, go to garage my, well first of all my parents loved garage sales and flea markets when I was a kid and I could go to garage sales and flea markets and buy you know stacks of comics for pennies basically you know and uh, there used to be this guy that sold <laughs> sold comic books uh, out of the back of a pickup truck at a flea market <laughs> and he sold grocery sacks of 50 comics for five dollars. Nice. And uh, and every weekend my dad would take me and you know I'd have my five dollars and I'd buy a grocery sack full of comics and it's just random stuff you know it was but it was also you know things you know it was my exposure to things it was almost always Marvel books but uh, it was my exposure to things like Master of Kung Fu and and all these uh these great you know Marvel books of the seventies that uh, I remember reading from those grocery sacks uh, and yet you know I I bought comics off the spinner racks and and uh, you know, I didn't go to a comic shop until I was, you know, probably a teenager, I guess, uh, when one opened up in our town. So, uh, and that was a completely, you know, amazing experience for me that there was a store, you know, dedicated to comic books. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's just something I've always, you know, I've always been a fan of comics. I've always loved them. That's good. What uh, when you were reading? Did you ever kind of fall out with the medium, or did you continue reading up until the point where you started writing? Well, um, you know, I collected pretty. I was a pretty hardcore collector for for a long while. Uh, my dad uh, was not into comics, but he enjoyed uh, the 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 act of collecting. Um, uh, and and we collected. Uh, like we collected a complete run of X-Men, whatever was at the current at the time, you know, from number one up to whatever was current. And we collected, uh, amazing fantasy 15 and Spider-Man number one. And, and we, you know, we, he just enjoyed 
and making the you know making those deals. So I had a pretty impressive collection. Uh, when I went to college, I sold that collection. Uh, I sold everything to pay for school. Um, and uh, and I kind of fell out for a few years, and then kind of maybe a look got into it just a little bit. You know, started a you know by following a few things, um, and then I I got. You know, and it was more of an on and again, off again thing for the next, you know, probably, you know, ten years or so. You know, I was always aware of comics, and sometimes I'd go into shops and buy some. But, uh, you know, once I sold my comic collection, you know, that killed a little bit of my enthusiasm. And then, uh, and then being broke while I was in college, that helped kill a lot of the, you know, the ability to buy comics. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so I kind of fell out for for a long while. Um, I got back into it again, kind of seriously. Uh, I'm terrible with dates, so I don't know. But I know that, uh, like, uh, the uh, Ultimate X-Men had just come out. I think that's, you know, I, I got back. I, I And I wasn't even reading that book, but I remember that book was on the shelf when I, when I got back into into comics. So, so that's like right, 2001, that 2002. Yeah, so, so somewhere around there. And, and I've been following them, uh, you know, Pretty steadily ever since. When uh, you know, when you kind of came back to it, you said that there was a few titles that kind of piqued your interest. What were some of those things that drew you back? Uh, you know, I don't know what you know what it was that that actually drew me back. I guess uh, I think Grant Morrison's X Men was going on about this time. Okay, and uh, and I loved X Men anyway. Uh, and then when I read the Grant Morrison stuff, it just kind of wowed me. Uh, you know, I loved that run. Uh, I, I loved his his run on the book and, and that kind of helped me uh you know get back into books in a you know, get back into comics in a, a pretty significant way i guess uh i'm trying to think what else was out at the time uh did, this had been out for a little bit but i know uh, around that same time i got into the authority and planetary okay and and both of those books uh i thought just had something special that that i really liked I'm gonna jump, like I'm gonna jump a little bit. I have a and I an outline, but as things come up, I'll jump around. Uh, considering that you were such an X Men fan, how is it now to be, you know, writing one of the main X books coming up with the old, new, old, different Marvel now? It's uh, it's it's pretty exciting. I mean, uh, Uncanny X Men, like I said, that was the book my dad and I collected together, and uh, and it was my favorite superhero book when uh, you know, pretty much. Since I discovered it, and, and and you know, from from the point I discovered it up until the time I kind of got out of collecting, it was my favorite book. Um, so it was kind of the you know, uncanny was was a little bit of the holy grail for me. That's you know, that's the book I I, I I've always dreamed of doing. So uh, so it's super exciting. I you know I can't. It's it's a. Uh, it, it's a little daunting, I guess, a little bit uh, intimidating, but uh, but I'm super excited to to be working on the book. Okay, well we'll come back to that obviously because that's right. going to be a huge thing going forward. But uh, w- just to go to back to kind of your roots and your origins, when did you first decide you wanted to be a writer? You know, I've always wanted to tell stories since I was very young. I mean, it, it's been something I've I I have always wanted to do. Uh, I think it's part of growing up. My dad was a, was this kind of you know tall tale, tall tale teller. He was always telling stories, and I think I you know while I didn't have his uh, his gift of gab, I did want to tell stories. Uh, and uh, you know I 
you know, somewhere around here in a filing cabinet. I have a novel I wrote or started writing when I was in middle school. It's pretty terrible. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I mean, it's really bad. Um, I have, uh, I have, you know, a couple of comics I published when I was in sixth grade, sixth or seventh grade. Um, so I have a couple of those that I, that I published and sold at local conventions when I was a kid. Oh wow! Uh, when I was in uh, fourth and fifth grade, uh, we had this club that was that we called the X Laser Knights, uh, and I <laughs> and I I wrote and drew a comic about the X Laser Knights. So there were like sixteen or seventeen issues of this comic that I wrote and drew. They're gone. That you know they've they've been lost to to history. Um, and they were I'm, I'm, I would love to see those again because I'm certain they are absolutely the most ridiculous things you, you can imagine uh, <laughs> but it was basically my friends and I all starring in you know in this comic fighting uh, alien creatures and going on space adventures and, and things like that so it was always kind of a big part of your life just this telling stories yeah I, I, I it's something I've always wanted to do and you know and, and I fell in and out of that too uh, you know the idea of doing it uh, professionally you know I kind of fell out of that and and got into some other things and then came back to the the idea of wanting to to write professionally now how did you get into the comic book industry as a writer I mean that's a, a big step to take yeah no and it took me forever because <laughs> because I had no idea how to do it um I, uh, you know, I was I was always submitting uh, proposals to Marvel and DC for, you know, Moon Knight stories and Ghost Rider stories and uh, ambush bug stories, and, <laughs> and yet I was submitting story and Swamp Thing stories. I was submitting uh, proposals all the time and getting form letter rejections uh, because I, it was kind of go- I was going about it the wrong way. Um, finally, I was actually I was working at a comic book shop, and uh, my one of my coworkers. Uh, Brian Hurt uh, was a aspiring artist at the time, and we started talking about maybe one day working on a comic book together, and, and we pitched some ideas back and forth uh, that didn't come to fruition. Um, but then a few years later, we, we put a, another pitch together and, uh, and sent it to Oni Press. Uh, they rejected it, but uh, our second pitch was a book called The Damned, and uh, and they accepted that pretty much you know right off the bat. And... Uh, so that was my, you know, I did, I wrote The Damned for Oni, and then I did a book called The Tooth with for Oni uh, that I did with uh, Sean Lee co-writing and Matt Kent uh, illustrating, and uh, and then I did another book called The Sixth Gun with Oni, and uh, when I did The Sixth Gun, uh, some editors at DC and Marvel kind of took notice, and, and they reached out and contacted me and offered me some work, you know, with, with Marvel and DC, and uh, I gotta ask, did you send them a form rejection letter saying no thanks? <laughs> no, no, I did not. <laughs> I, I quickly called them. I mean, it was funny. Uh, my first professional work, well, it wasn't my first professional work. Um, I did one book for Marvel uh, way back when uh, that I don't even remember how the editor got my name. Uh, the editor and I never got along, but uh, and he's no longer with Marvel. But uh, um, I did one book for him, and then and then I thought my career had dried up at that point bad it just wasn't a good experience for me uh you know whether i was the problem or the editor was the problem i don't know um so things kind of dried up uh and then uh, a dc editor reached out to me via twitter and uh and off 
offered me, and they said, hey, could you call me? I want to offer you a book. And I was like, what? You know, and, and I, you know, so I quickly, you know, called them back. I was, I was giddy with excitement. So I did this four-issue run of uh, Superman, Batman. Okay. And that was my, you know, so I, you know, that was, that was my first, first project with Marvel, Marvel or DC that was more than one issue, you know, more than one story. What was that like? I mean, that was an interesting time. It was right before uh, the New 52 was coming about. So I guess you kind of closed out the, the chapter on Superman, Batman. There was one writer that came after me. It was because I pitched, when they, when they offered it to me, I pitched them like four different story arcs for Superman, Batman. And uh, they liked two of them. And we were going to do both of them and then found out, you know, then I found out this, uh, you know, uh, New 52 was coming up and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I would not be doing my second story arc. Uh, but it was, it was, it was a, it was a great experience. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, and, and, uh, they, uh, at that time they were letting me pitch a couple of different things for New 52, um, but also about that time, Marvel had decided to offer me an exclusive agreement, and so that's you know I went with Marvel doing the exclusive thing at that point, uh, mainly because it was what really allowed me to quit my day job and and uh, become a full time writer. What was your day job at that point in time? I was working in marketing. I was a vice president of marketing for a, a company here in St. Louis. Oh, nice! But uh, and- the the allure of comics was too strong. Well, yeah, it, it, it was a, it was one of those things. It was a, you know, it was a good job, and I was good at my job, and I was completely miserable. Ah. And uh, and uh, you know, it was it was not what I wanted to do. So, uh, so I had to take that you know leap of faith. Going back to Superman, Batman. What was it like working with Criss Cross? <laughs> it was fun. Um, that, that guy likes to draw big swords. Uh, I remember, I, <laughs> I remember I turned in some scripts and uh, and and I got the art, which you know was was uh, for me was uh, getting the art on a comic is always super exciting. But getting this was the first time that I was working, well, close to the first time I was working with an artist that I didn't know personally. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I'd get the you know I'd get these pages and and, and I remember uh, he had he had a, a pretty. Uh, pretty unique style and i remember but i also remember that i uh, overwrote those pages quite a bit i know there were uh some you know some pages were seven or eight or nine panels and i was asking him to draw a lot of stuff in those nine panels <laughs> um but uh but he did it that that's what surprised me he never he never called me out on it and said hey what are you doing he uh he just you know he just went at went at those pages regardless of, of how much I was asking him to draw. I look at that book now, and I'm like, man, I can't believe I, that the editor let me get away with this. <laughs> uh, that actually brings up a natural question, which is when you made the transition to working with artists you didn't know, did you find that it, you started to change your scripting style? At the time, no. Uh, my scripts are pretty much the same. You know, A lot of people ask, uh, because I work with Brian Hurt, uh, I've worked with him so often. They ask if I write my scripts for him in the shorthand, uh, and I don't. You know, every script I write, you know, is a is a full script. Um, I, you know, in that case, uh, it's it, it's interesting now. You know, I have to think about it because, you know, if I write a script for Brian, for instance, I know that Brian Hurt likes like seven panel pages. He likes eight panel pages. He doesn't mind. You know, he really enjoys uh, trying to make those kind of uh, panel heavy. Uh, pages work 
Um, not every artist likes that, you know, and not every editor or publisher likes that. You know, a lot of them will tell you keep it to four or five panels, and, and that has been the biggest, uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big transition for me. I don't like, uh, as a reader, I don't like comics that have, you know, more double-page spreads than panels or <laughs> more you know that every page is a double page spread or something like that I, I like I like panels I like uh, I like a lot of a lot of going on on the page uh, so I tend to write that way um, um, so it takes you know it, it, it gets a you know but I also want to be a good collaborator with with my with the different artists and there are you know different artists uh, bring different things to the table so I try to to figure out what their uh, you know what their styles, you know what their styles and preferences are, and, and try to, to tailor what I'm doing to them at least a little bit. Now, with uh, working with DC, did you have you found any noticeable differences or shifts? What it was like? I mean, obviously, only did one story, but working pre and post New Fifty Two. Um, not really. I, I don't. I don't see any big differences. Um, and it, it could also be that you know when I did that story, I did a, that my editor at the time. Uh, it was Matt Idelson and, and, and Will Moss were my editors. And when I came back to DC and I was doing and started with Sinestro, it was Matt Idelson again. So I was really just working with you know the same editor in the same style, and that, maybe that eased me into it. Uh, but I, I, I don't think I've noticed any uh, any major differences. Maybe if I've been working on more than you know more than that four issue arc, uh, you know I might have identified something. But no, uh, it's it's been pretty much the same. When you started working with Marvel, you were kind of, it looks like, at least looking at your, your kind of bibliography, that you were kind of thrown into doing a lot of Fear Itself tie-ins. What was it like to kind of jump into the, an event and do a lot of crossovers or tie-ins? Uh, it was it was fine. Yeah, I did, uh, I did Fear Itself, uh, Fear Itself the Fearless, which was originally going to be called Fear Itself the Defenders, and then they changed it a little bit. Uh, and, and decided not not the fearless. It was fear itself, the deep, which was originally going to be defenders, um, and that was my first you know sort of four issue thing with with Marvel, and it was fine. It was a it was a, a, a good experience. I enjoyed working on the book. Um, you know, I, I fan feedback was interesting at that time because uh, it's it's vastly different from uh, when I work on a a creator owned book. Uh, fan feedback is you know, that was a that took a lot of uh, getting used to. Mm-hmm. Was the, the the feedback uh, that comes back from a, a Marvel or a DC book, um, and then after that, then then I was thrown into sort of a big a big project. I did this twelve issue arc of uh, Fear itself, the Fearless, and that was a you know that was a it was an interesting you know it was it was an interesting project only because it was big. It was a you know a twelve issue series, and I want to say that we did it bi monthly. So it was coming out fast. I think I think you're right. I think it was bi monthly. Yeah, and I was or, working with I was working with two artists on it, um, and uh, and it was a you know it was a it was a it was a bear. It was fun. I, I love doing the book, but it was a uh, it was a and I and I'm very proud of that book. Actually, I think it's a I think it's a very strong title. Uh, to this day, it's one of the my favorite things I wrote from you know a couple of years ago. I was like I, I still like it. Um, so it was, but it was a, uh, it was a, it was a big project to be thrown, you know, right into like that. 
No, what? Now that book was it like, like collaboratively written? Because I remember seeing if there's what uh, you, Matt Fraction, and Christopher Yost were on, were billed as the writers there. So what happened with that was because um, Matt had just written, you know, Fear itself. Yeah. And so so what happened was we when we first took the book, it, it changed a lot over time. When we first did it, it was going to be a twelve issue series, and uh, called Fear itself, the Fearless, and it was going to be. Uh, Chris Yost was writing half of it, and I was writing half of it. And uh, Matt Fraction uh, was this consult, almost like an editor, really. He was he was sort of acting as an editor, offering you know ideas and, and feedback on the script. And uh, and what happened was very early on in the planning of that, uh, we decided that we were trying to tell two stories, so we broke it into two comics. There was uh, there was uh, Fear itself, the Fearless. And then uh, Fear Itself Battle Scars. And uh, and Chris Yost, Matt Fraction, and I are listed as the writers on both of those books. But Battle Scars was written by Chris Yost for the most part. and I, Or he wrote all the scripts for Battle Scars. And I wrote all the scripts for Fear Itself the Fearless. Oh. And then, and then Matt, uh, Matt was, uh, again, it was a very, very much almost like an editorial position really for, for Matt on those books but uh but yeah that's how that that's how that broke down um when we were uh when we were doing it and it's interesting only because every time you co-write something no matter how every time you co-write something with someone it's different you know the the experience is you know it's always it, it always works differently some you know in some cases it's very collaborative in some cases you know it's uh you're doing most of the work on a book and in other cases you're not doing any work on the book um but i remember i remember getting seeing reviews uh that said uh there's like some scene i wrote and i was real proud of it and, and some review wrote this is the best scene in the book and i was like yeah they got it and it says obviously chris yost wrote this <laughs> and, I was, and i was like what how do you even make that determination um so, and that's just kind of the thing you get with, with any co-writing experience. Uh, I, whenever I go into a co-writing project, I just assume that the other writer is going to get credit for all the great stuff, and I'm going to get all the heat for the bad stuff. <laughs> it's, it's funny because um, Tom DeFalco kind of takes that stance. He's like, if anything was good, it was my collaborator. If it's bad, it's probably my fault. Right. Um, now, I have a question about as you were starting to do Marvel work, you took over the Captain America and book, as well as Venom, from you know very well received runs by Brubaker and um, oh gosh, Remender respectively. What was it like to kind of take on those books after such a impressive run or well received run immediately previous to? Well, I would say that I will never again take on uh, a project that immediately follows a classic run. I think it's a lose lose situation. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's you know, for instance, uh, whoever takes over Batman after Scott Snyder, I feel for them. You know, <laughs> they're not they're, they they will not be able to do anything right. You know, at least for a few months. Uh, you know, and it was a you know they, they were two very different situations because Captain America. I wrote the last four issues or next you know four issues of the series. And, uh, and that was a situation where I was given a bullet point outline, or, or not even an outline. It was just uh, Ed gave me a list of bullet points of things he wanted to include in the story, and I wrote a script to make that work. You know, 
and and it was a tough that was a tough sell anyway. Uh, to, that was tough to make it work anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did the Captain America and series to kind of take it over, and it was such a vastly different series. It was a it, you know it was never in t- it, to me it, it was never in t- it was it, it should have been launched as a new series called Captain America Team Up maybe Absolutely. maybe that but anything called Team Up doesn't work it just doesn't sell really not anymore um, it's it's yeah. sad because back in the day I mean Marvel Team Up like that was a classic book but yeah in the modern world it doesn't seem to work as well right so it was just such a different style of book and and the the, the goal of that book was different. Um, of what they wanted to do with it, uh, so it was you know it was it was a it was a it was it was a tough tough book to to get fan buy in on, um, and Venom was the same way. Uh, the first I don't know first six issues of my Venom series, I, the the diehard Remender fans hated me, uh, and then they warmed up to me and they liked me. You know, so it, it became. You know, it, it took a little bit for them to uh, uh, accept me into the fold. I guess. Why do you think that was? I just think they like what they like, and and I, you know, the the, the thing is, I'm not going to go in and, and try to write like Remender. I can't do it. That's not my. You know, I'm I don't write like Remender. Uh, so it was going to be a shock to the system when you know I took over the, you know, I took over the book, uh, and really. <laughs> It's you know it was interesting only because you know we did Rick and I did uh, you know a five issue six issue arc before he left the series we did together yeah and everybody was fine with that <laughs> it was it was until we you know until Rick's name dropped off of it that uh, they 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 got a little upset um, and, uh, and but again they, eventually they they warmed up to me. And, and that was, you know, and, and all was well. But it's just, uh, it takes a little bit of time whenever a creative team changes, uh, especially when you are coming in on sort of a defining run on a series. I gotta say, I mean, I actually really enjoyed your run on Venom. I thought it was a cool concept to kind of take him out of New York for once, uh, give him, like, his own kind of world to, to play in. I thought it was... Before they obviously took him off world, but I, I really enjoyed your your kind of take on the Flash character. So I wasn't one of the detractors. <laughs> you know, it, 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 I uh, I know I'm never going to please everyone, so it's it's okay if, if someone doesn't like something I do. I'm going to write something else, you know, and and maybe they will or or won't, you know, like that. <laughs> uh, what was it like to be able to write a, a devil dinosaur story in Avenging Spider Man? That was awesome. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I had a devil dinosaur story in me for, you know, one of the first things I ever pitched to Marvel was a devil dinosaur story. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> in, years and years ago. I, I pitched like a devil dinosaur and a Moon Knight story years and years ago when I, I was at some convention and Marvel editors were there, uh, you know, hearing pitches. So uh, I pitched those two things, you know, right off the bat. Uh, didn't Obviously didn't get any traction with them. But uh, it was a funny. It was kind of funny because I went to. Uh, I was at San Diego Comic Con and I had breakfast with Steve Wacker, the ed- the Spider Man editor at the time. And uh, and I just said, just sort of on a whim, I said, "Hey, I," he, <laughs> I said, "Hey, I'd love to do a Devil Dinosaur story." And he said, "All right." 
do a two issue, you know, Spider Man Devil Dinosaur story. And I thought he was joking for the long, you know, for I think for a couple of weeks after the convention, I thought he was joking. And uh, and then he, he contacted me and said, "Where's that story?" <laughs> so uh, so it was fun, you know. Uh, it, he's a uh, it, it's a character I uh, I had a lot of uh, affection for, uh, you know, when I was growing up. So of course, uh, I was super happy to do it. Um, before I move forward, I just realized I forgot to ask a question about Venom. What was it about that tra- attracted you to writing Venom in the first place, or was that just something that was pitched to you? Uh, well, it was pitched to me, but uh, I liked uh, the idea. I like I like how flawed Flash is, um, and uh, and uh, forget all the superhero stuff. Uh, I, uh, I you know my favorite scene. The, the two my, I have two favorite scenes I wrote in Venom. One is a one page scene with Flash in an AA meeting, kind of giving his breakdown of you know telling you know telling a little bit about himself and almost confessing who he is without saying you know I'm you know I'm the superhero Venom. Uh, and it was just a you know a six panel grid of him sitting in a chair talking, and uh, I like that scene. And there's another scene um, because I loved what Rick did. Uh, with Venom, uh, but the one thing I, I really did not like uh, was when they gave him robot legs. Oh yeah, I hated that. <laughs> um, I just thought it it kind of uh, I don't know. It just it just felt it just felt wrong to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember writing a you know writing a, and another favorite scene of mine is where he's talking to Beast and Beast says, "Why aren't you wearing you know your prosthetic legs?" and uh, and he says, you know, one, I don't like the way they feel, and two, that it feels like cheating. And, you know, and, and this is coming from a guy that, uh, you know, yes, he has legs when he's in the Venom suit, but uh, I, I always liked the fact that, that Flash in the end was sort of this proud guy, and, you know, uh, and he was deeply flawed. He was, you know, a bully who happened to become a superhero, and uh, and that's really what uh, what drew me to him. Do you think, um, I mean, not not to say anything bad about what they've done with the character since, but do you think bringing him out into space kind of ruins part of that quality for him? It definitely changes him. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a vastly different character. I mean, I think just, just in the role he's playing. Um, and I always joke, you know, that, you know, I ended Venom with this scene with, uh, there was this character, uh, Andy, who had taken on a symbiote and become the character Mania. And uh, I ended Venom with a scene where he says, uh, you know, don't worry, I'm never going to leave you. <laughs> and, you know, the next month he's off blasting into space. <laughs> and uh, and I always joke uh, that uh, that would deeply mess Mania up in some terrible way. Although, you know, I joke about it, but it kind of feels right. Flash is a screw-up. That seems like the kind of screwed-up thing he would do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and not think twice about it. Uh, there was a moment where we were going to do a Guardians team up issue. And I was going to write one, and and it was basically, uh, you know, the out and I you know I outlined it and everything, but I don't think it's not going to happen now because I think the, ch- the the title's changing and everything with all new Marvel. Um, but it was basically Venom coming back. Ven- it was Venom and Mania, and, and kind of reunion between the two. Um, but uh, at least in at least in that format, it's not going to happen. Maybe one day, who knows? Yeah, I don't like. I would like to see that character revisited because I don't. I don't know if anyone else has plans to. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I, I have a few characters uh, that I would love to, to do something with again or see something happen with, Mania being one of them. Uh, over the past few years, you've, uh, you've obviously written a few different uh, Deadpool books, as well as you've actually written a variety of Carnage appearances. What is it about both those characters that's compelling to you as a writer and why you keep finding your way back to them? <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, when I was first offered a Deadpool book, I didn't get it. I don't. I did not see the appeal of Deadpool. Um, I wasn't a fan of the character um, at all. Um, but I liked the idea. It was Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe, mm-hmm. and they came to me and just said, "What would you do with a book called you know, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe?" And and that was you know they had the title, and uh, and I was able to pitch. You know, I, I basically pitched. Almost a Deadpool, a really dark story with Deadpool almost as this Jason Voorhees-like character, you know, tearing his way through, you know, all these superheroes in, in really violent, malicious, cruel ways. And and I wanted to write a story that, you know, may have been, you know, may have had some jokes in it, but was really a dark, you know, a dark humor book. And uh, they went for it. And as I was writing that, I realized that Deadpool really is a character who can, you can do anything with. And, and following you know a number of different types of stories and 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 you can go places that other care you can't you can put him in places you can't put other characters and readers will accept it because it's Deadpool. Absolutely, and, I mean, I, I think uh, your uh, the, the the most recent series that ended the uh, Secret Secret Wars is fantastic. Because yeah, and that is a, that is a story that if I had said to anyone you know with any other character if I had taken a character. And said this character really was in Secret Wars. No one would buy it. You know, they would not accept it. They would, they would call BS on it right away. But because it's Deadpool, they're like, oh, okay. And you know, and now there's the question of if it's in continuity or not. And yes, it's absolutely in continuity. And uh, and, and but people, you know, again, Deadpool is the kind of character that a lot of people say, you know, nothing Deadpool is ever in continuity. But. Uh, <laughs> So and and really that's fine by me too. I don't. You know, that's fine. Uh, uh, I know I'm going out of sequence, but yeah, Deadpool's Secret Secret Wars was again. Was that a a pitch to you, or how did that come about? <laughs> um, strangely enough, uh, after I wrote Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, they asked me what I wanted to do next with Deadpool, and my pitch to them was Deadpool is in Deadpool goes back in time, as in and it, and and is thrown into the middle of Secret. Um, and they didn't do it at the, you know, that was not one the one we picked to go with. Um, then years later, now when we're doing the Secret Wars, you know, the Secret Wars event, my editor called me and said, hey, what do you think of a story where Deadpool <laughs> is in the original Secret Wars? And I, I was kind of like, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> you, you just pitched my story back to me. <laughs> and he was like, oh, wait, you're right. You know, then he realized, oh, my, you know. Um, but, you know, that's where it came from. So uh, it, it uh it, uh, you know, that's you know, I pitched it to them, and then they pitched it to me. <laughs> it was uh, it was a really fun read. I liked because it had a, a reverence to the original, but also an irreverence as well. Uh, you know, kind of dancing within the raindrops of things that did happen, but then adding in, you know, Deadpool's own, you know, unique perspective. I should say. Yeah, it was a. It's an interesting. 
you know, it's an interesting book. I don't know if you read the original Secret Wars when it came out. I don't know how old you are. Uh, I was not reading it when I was one years old. Okay, yeah. So (laughs) I, however, as an old man, was reading it when it came out. And to me, it was one of the greatest things ever. I was like, this is the greatest comic of all time. And then when I started working on this, I reread it and realized that it wasn't that great. You know? No. (laughs) It was was pretty rough. Um, uh, And nostalgia had sweetened it, you know, over time, I guess. But at the time I read it, it was awesome, you know, and and I cherished, you know, I cherished reading that book. I loved it. Uh, So it was interesting uh, also doing a book in four issues while the series was 12 issues originally and finding, you know, how to how to make all those moments work as a story, uh, and you know trying to make it work for people who uh, never read the original and, and and don't care to read the original. Uh, I didn't. It's something you know. It's a problem I have. I don't think about this type of thing. But you know, a lot of people who read Deadpool Secret Secret Wars just didn't read. Them, don't have any connection to the the first one at all. I mean, they've never read it. I guess I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. I guess a lot of people haven't read it. It seems so crazy, but I guess, yeah, <laughs> I guess people yeah, haven't no, read it. a lot it. of folks hadn't read it. So, and, and, and thankfully, uh, you know, I talked to a few people at conventions. Uh, there was a young lady I talked to who came up and she was telling me that she loved the series. And I was like, so you read the original? And she had no idea there was an original series. Oh, my God. And I was like, well, I said, well, I don't know if I should tell you to read it or not. <laughs> it's a... Uh, you know, it's a completely different kind of comic than what you're used to. Two quick questions about it. First of all, whose idea was it to give uh, Deadpool that awesome mustache? Uh, that was me. I, I, I wrote in the script that I wanted him to look like a Tom Selleck type. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I figured it was the 80s, right? It's 80, 84 or whatever. So, yep. you know, that was what was in. So, so that, was, uh, that, was in, that was in the script, Tom Selleck mustache. That's a gr- that's a great description because that's exactly the way it looks. Yeah. Um, and also, what what kind of prompted you to give it this kind of bittersweet, sad ending? Because it was kind of a, a fun romp, and then it kind of ends on a bit of a somber, <laughs> sad note. I always that, that was the way I, I I pictured it at the beginning. I want you know I said yeah, this is going to be sort of a you know sort of this uh, you know this this crazy action story. Um, but I remember, you know, reading, reading the original series that, that Zaji was the saddest to me was always the, you know, was, was just heartbreaking. And, uh, and is it a, is it a sad ending for secret, secret wars or is it a happy ending? Because, you know, she's, she's alive. She's Deadpool saved her. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I feel like, uh, I like when Deadpool kind of has these moments of, of sort of, it's not necessarily a moment of clarity, but this moment of, of real humanity and, and empathy for people around him. You know, we see him as this this crazy character who's you know you know full of one liners and jumping around and, and saying stupid stuff and doing stupid things. But I think he works best when you balance that a little bit with these moments of you know of sort of tenderness and sweetness. Well, I think that's why it's more effective. It's because a character you don't always expect it from. Like if it was Spider Man, you'd be like, well, yeah, of course, that's what Spider Man would do, but. When it's Deadpool, it, you know, as you said, because he's so zany at times and over the top and doing crazy things, to give him that level of humanity and understanding is more, it reaches the reader in a different way, which right. I found effective anyway. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I you know, I, it, it's just, uh, I feel like, I, I felt like uh, the story would have been fine if I had just been 
sort of a you know if it had just been sort of a, a a funny tour of the original Secret Wars, but I wanted it to have uh, not only sort of a you know I, I wanted to have sort of an, an importance to it. There's something happened that is different, you know, that, that you didn't see in the pages of Secret Wars, but also but more importantly, I wanted it to have this sort of uh, emotional importance for Deadpool. Now, was uh, the, the the idea or the concept of uh, having Deadpool be the reason that the alien symbiote became a bad thing? Uh, that was me. I am shocked that they let me get away with that. <laughs> well, that they let me keep great. that in there. It's a um, great concept that he kind of broke the symbiote. Yeah. Um, it, uh, you know, again... You know, I wrote it in such a way that there's a you know that you could read it and say Deadpool really had no idea, did not break the symbiote, or you could read it and say, oh, he really you know messed the symbiote up. Um, so uh, and 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 actually, when I went into the series, because when I think of Secret Wars, that's the biggest moment in Secret Wars, really. You Absolutely. know, Spider Man's new costume. Um, and I thought it might be cool to, to. I wanted. I knew I had to play with that moment. Um, so. I thought it might be interesting to have that that beat where some readers may say Deadpool has you know officially you know entered the origins of you know of Venom, and some readers will just shrug and say ah you know he didn't have anything to do with that, and that's absolutely fine. I know if he did or not. And <laughs> <laughs> that's all that matters, right? Um, I got to say that you're um, I think it was Loli on art. Uh, did an amazing job at capturing that moment when Deadpool actually gets the costume because it's oh, yeah. it, it's a perfect recreation of the original. Like, it looks fantastic. Yeah, no, um, that script when you look at it, it's kind of a funny looking script because it's full of screen captures from the original Secret Wars. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, uh, my, you know, I, I you know I uh, I have Marvel Unlimited and I had it on my screen and I would screen capture certain panels. Because I wanted to make sure that the moments that were happening in the story were happening, uh, you know, that you could, you know, that a reader could place those moments in the original miniseries. Um, and I know that I, you know, that that one image where <laughs> Spider-Man standing in surprise in the in the black costume, uh, you know, I know that was in the script. But yeah, what he did was he he did recreate that, but he kind of put his own spin on it to the point that it's not a. It's not like he traced that image or anything. He made no. it his own thing. Um, and yeah, I think the costume looks awesome, actually. Uh, 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 some cosplayer has contacted me and said he's going to be at, uh, I can't remember what convention it is, but he's got, you know, he's doing that costume. Oh, that's awesome. And, and I'm like, I can't wait to see that. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like seeing, uh, you know, characters and creations or things that you've had a huge part in cosplayed? You know, it's. Uh, it doesn't hit me until it's a character. Like, you know, I've written Spider-Man stories and I've written Venom stories, and it doesn't hit me until it's a character that I, you know, that I actually created or had a, you know, had a, you know, hand in creating. Uh, with creator-owned stuff, you know, there's some people who cosplay characters from Six Gun, and that's uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh, and we did a, we uh, uh, I guess last year or whatever we. We went out to uh, Santa Fe, uh, where they uh, shot most of the pilot for the Six Guns TV series, and uh, a theater there showed the pilot to you know to certain you know over, over a weekend we showed the pilot to a bunch of people, and on the first day they had 
I don't know, three dozen people dressed as characters. You know, some of them were just cowboys or zombie cowboys, but you know, some of them were dressed as characters from the Six Gun. And they play, they they went to this uh, this uh, you know this uh, park area in the middle of Santa Fe and acted out this scene. And they had you know <laughs> they had you know they were shooting guns at each other, and uh, you know it was a. Uh, it was pretty exciting to see something like that. That was a, that was a, a sort of an awe-inspiring moment. And then with you know with Mar- Marvel and, and and DC characters, you know it's there. There are a few, uh, you know, uh, Hippolyta from Fearless Defenders. Uh, there's been some Hippolyta cosplayers that that I've really liked, and that's a character who's kind of kind of vanished, you know, since since Fearless Defenders. But I, I love seeing people cosplay her as her, and. Uh, uh, Annabelle Riggs again from Fearless Defenders. Mania cosplayers are, are always uh, always pretty uh, uh, interesting to me. So uh, so when it's a character I've had a heavy hand in in creating or bringing to the page, uh, it, it's always a little more exciting. For sure, for sure. Um, how did you come to start writing Magneto? Um, you know, I, I can't remember how they. I mean, they came to me and offered me the book. Um, well, they offered me the chance to pitch for the book, uh, and there were other writers uh, pitching for the book at that time. Uh, I guess this was, you know, after Fearless Defenders had ended, and we were looking for whatever was going, and Venom had ended, and we were looking for whatever was going to be my next project. And uh, I, uh, they, they asked me to pitch for it, and uh, I wrote uh, the first scene from the first issue which is this guy, Magneto's not in it, it's just this guy talking about Magneto, and then, uh, you you know, you turn the page and you see this poor soul who has gotten these, uh, the, the sign, metal signposts from stop signs and things jammed through his face, and, you know, he's been murdered by this, by Magneto, and I wrote that scene and sent it to him and said, this is the series I want to write, uh, you know, I want to do a horror story with Magneto as, as the lead. And, uh, and they, you know, they, they bid, they, they liked that approach to it. And, uh, and, you know, we went from there. Now, what was it like trying to kind of create a supporting cast, uh, for a character like Magneto who has a long history, but kind of weaving his history, but using a new characters to do it? Well, you know, it was interesting because one of the things I didn't want to do in the series was bring too many, uh, X-Men into it. Uh, I, I wanted to... You know, I wanted to use characters who were either new or, or not, you know, you wouldn't be associated with, you know, Magneto. So we, you know, introduced this team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, and, and then we introduced this one character of, of Briar Raleigh, uh, who is this woman who has a strange obsession with Magneto. And uh, I, especially, especially with Briar Raleigh, it was a character that I... I wanted to have this sort of strangeness to, and she has, you know, she lives in this sort of bizarre world uh, that's uh, almost where they, you know, they see you know, almost uh, where supervillain violence is this fetish, and uh, and I, I remember uh, I pitched it to my editor as uh, Magneto sex fiend or or kinky Magneto sex fiends or something <laughs> because I wanted to I wanted to to have a really weird. Almost uncomfortable vibe to, the, to to Briar and to to these people she 
associated with. Um, and it was just trying to, to come up with characters who who would feed into this uh, this sort of darker, grittier version of, of the Marvel Universe. Now, when you were writing your Magneto stories, what was it like knowing that he was going to be part of Axis and then also later using doing the Last Days crossover? Well, when I first started out writing Magneto, I did not know he was going to be part of Axis. <laughs> you know, that you know, that came, you know, as I was writing the uh, whatever arc it was right before, they said, oh, by the way, uh, this is Axis. And, you know, Magneto plays a big role in it. And, you know, they sent me the scripts for the first couple issues of Axis, and and uh, it was, uh, you know, it was interesting. I, I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to play in, in, in the crossover, but I also wanted to tell stories that still felt true to, to the vibe and the tone that I had I'd started the, the book with. Um, so it was kind of an interesting challenge um, to to tell crossover stories but keep it within you know within the 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 tone of magneto and and i probably was more successful in the first the the in the axis because i, I like some of those i really like those stories i was telling and i i feel like i introduced a really creepy villain uh with this uh this hitzig character who tormented magneto when he was a a boy and has kind of stuck with him all this time so I, I really, I think those worked. Uh, with End of Days, it was a different kind of, or Last Days, whatever, <laughs> Last Days. Same it was thing. A, yeah, it was, a, it was a different vibe, only because, you know, we knew we had four issues. And at first, you know, not understanding fully what was going on with Last Days, I was like, well, okay, this is the story I'd pitch. And it was, it was a, a bigger story, probably. And then I realized, oh, once these incursions occur... It's really only eight hours, and then I was like, "Oh, well, now it's a different kind of story." <laughs> and I had to tell it—you know—I had to kind of go back to the drawing board and tell a slightly different kind of story uh, with using, you know, using flashbacks and things like that uh, to get the, the story across. Which is why we have Magneto for four issues. He's trying to turn back this world, but really, the the real story was what was going on in the flashbacks. Well, I actually really like the flashbacks or you used to the flashbacks because I felt like you were going back to, in some cases, you know, kind of these more seminal moments for Magneto, like like uh, sinking the uh, the Russian sub from Uncanny 150, but also going to stuff that people don't talk about as much, like the end of Magneto War where he got the original control over Genosha. Uh, so I actually really like those scenes. Yeah, well, you know, I love, you know, you know, I joke a lot about continuity. And I think that writers can can ruin a story by worrying too much about continuity. But you know, I still love that stuff. You know, I love the history of these characters. So uh, you know, and and Magneto. It wasn't my intention when I first started writing Magneto, but over time, I started delving more into these sort of historical moments from his past. You know, things that had happened in the comics and things that hadn't. So it felt right with that, especially the last issue in a big way was, you know, these moments of what Magneto had done, you know, uh, you know, sinking the, the Leningrad and, and, and even, even, you know, his first encounter with the X-Men and, and things like that. I wanted to, to touch back on his, you know, sort of his historical moments. 
Well, I, as uh, I, I agree with you, I, I love continuity. I agree that I understand why writers shouldn't be handcuffed by it, but when they're able to weave it in and use it, I really appreciate it because that's part of what I love about comics is that it's got this you know very long history to a lot of these characters. So being able to see that and reflect it, I, I always find I re- feel respected as a longtime reader. Well, yeah, yeah, and that's uh, you know I remember you know the thing I loved when I was when I was a especially when I was a young reader, was that these stories were all taking place in the same world, you know, and and things felt like they were connected, and and, and history is a part of that. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's t- <laughs> you know it's tough when you think about it too much because of time. You know, time passes differently in comics, but uh, so I try not to think about you know <laughs> when these things occurred, um, but. Uh, but uh, you know, I do want to to honor those moments when I can. Uh, and nope. yeah, and Mag- Magneto has such a big history. I mean, you, you can't you can't really tell a Magneto story without touching on those moments. For sure. Now, when you pick up with Magneto in Uncanny X Men, I have a burning question for you: Will he have hair again? <laughs> I have an answer. I will tell you, but I'm not going to tell you. Ah. Uh, the answer is I will not tell you if he has hair. Although I will tell you that uh, uh, my editor Daniel Ketchum, uh, artist Greg Land, and I have exchanged many emails about <laughs> Magneto having hair or not having hair. So, uh, so you'll just have to wait and see. You probably won't even find out in the first issue because I think he has his helmet on the entire time. So, uh, follow-up question: Will he get uh, sleeves again? Let me look. I'm going to look right now for you. <laughs> I'm going to look into. I cannot remember because um, it's just been interesting that since you've been writing Magneto, like he's he's ditched the sleeves look. Well, and... you know he's he's got he's got the arms for it. You know he can. <laughs> Isn't he like seventy years old? Like, well, well I mean, he... don't get it. Don't get me into that conversation. I know he's been I, de-aged I, and regrown enough times. I see him as a fifty-year-old man, or you know, late forties. But uh, I had a lot of people who got kind of uh, bent out of shape when I said that. They didn't like that. Magneto does have sleeves. Okay. <laughs> I will tell you, he, he is back to a sleeved look. Okay. And is he back to a traditional color scheme? Uh, well, it depends on what you consider traditional. He, it, it's, a, it's a new color scheme, but I can see there, there, are, there are shades of, the old, of old and new in, in his color scheme. Okay. That, that's, a, that's a good tease. Yes, how do you like that? I like it a lot. <laughs> Everybody um, on the team has a slightly different look, I think. Uh, except maybe Archangel, who looks like Archangel. Okay. We're, we're going to come back to Uncanny, don't worry. I, I got questions about that. All right. Um, now, when when did your, your Marvel exclusive end? Because obviously you started working a lot for DC, too. Yeah, so I was exclusive with Marvel for two years. Um, and then you know, and then it just you know, and then and then I was not anymore. So, <laughs> and so I don't I don't remember exact dates of when it ended. Though. Well, that's okay. There's no quiz. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, now, when did your now when the contract was up? Were you approached by DC? Did you approach them? Like, how did you come to write? You know, Sinestro and Lobo. Um. So the contract was up for a while. I didn't go. I didn't really go knocking on DC's door, I don't think. Uh, but again, I'd worked with Matt Idelson, 
uh, you know, when I did that Superman Batman, and we got along, you know, pretty well when uh, when we worked together. And uh, I think I met him at a convention, and he said, "Hey, are you still exclusive?" And I was like, "No, not right now." And 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 he, you know, immediately started talking to me about writing Sinestro, and uh, and you know, it just kind of just went from there, really. You know, it was you know I was doing Sinestro, and then uh, you know they came to me about Lobo and wanted me to write Lobo, and and then. I was going to pit, I was pitching for another book and and the, and they liked that book but it f- kind of fell through the the they liked uh, Matt liked my pitch but the, the you know DC decided not to publish or what they weren't going to go forward with the book that we were pitching so that became, and then you know Matt said well here's your consolation prize will be Green Lantern and the Lost Army <laughs> <laughs> and so you know it just you know, it just kind of has has gone from there most of the books and at least initially were you know all through Matt Idelson's office. And they were books he was, you know, he was developing or working on. Now it's interesting, you know, see, re- reading both your Magneto and Sinestro at the same time, where you're, they're both villainous characters that have had moments where they're not quite villains, and they both have complicated relationships with their children. You know, I, I it, the the ch- going into those books, I knew that there were going to be similarities. Um, the relationship with their children did not dawn on me until relatively recently. Uh, I think when I was writing uh, Magneto, you know, the, the, the last arc of Magneto, it really hit me that there are similarities between the two because of their, you know, their terrible parenting skills. <laughs> um, yeah, I've tried to keep it, you know, it's one of those things, I, I, I feel like the characters are pretty vastly different, but... Uh, but I tried to keep a, a weather eye out for for things that might be seen as, as too similar between the two books. Um, but yeah, uh, I it did not dawn on me until relatively recently that the, the parenting issues. When you were writing Sinestro, what was it like to uh, be part of a crossover with the Godhead storyline? That was a, it was it was great. It was interesting because it was the first crossover where. You know, I went out to the DC offices and and sat down with all the other writers and and really pitched. You know, we really worked for like two days trying to to hammer out this story. Um, so it was the first time I, I sat with you know these other creators to 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 make the you know to make the crossover work. Um, so it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a you know it was a pretty big story to make work, and it's a there were times where I was writing my Sinestro issues, and I was like, I'm just doing my own thing here. <laughs> I don't know what, I can't remember what all we said I was going to do, but this is what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I'd get yelled at by, by our editors and, uh, you know, have to tweak some things and make sure everything worked together well. Uh, but uh, but no, in the end, it was, a, it was a really cool experience for me. I, I, I liked, you know, being in the room with that, you know, with those other creators you know who I all you know who I, I respected all of them and and I I uh, you know I'm I'm pretty uh I was pretty amazed at the the amount of creativity that they were you know that they were able to you know bring to the table mm-hmm. and and nobody really you know I was also surprised we none of us ever got uh, in a fight 
<laughs> so that was nice. That's a good sign. I think the only thing we fought about is I is I kind of put my foot down that uh, Becca was the the new guy Becca was going to be in the pages of Sinestro. Uh, you know, there was, we were trying to decide who, you know, which new gods appeared in which books. The only ones I had to, I kind of had to puff up about was uh, was Becca, because I think she was originally going to be in a different book. Oh, really? Said, you know, and I had to, no, 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 she's going to be in Sinestro. That's the way it has to be. She's a great fit. Yeah, no, and she's a great character. I don't know why I like her as much as I do, um, but, uh, you know, there was a, there was a, again, there was a Superman-Batman arc where the new gods played a role and Beckwell had a big role in it and uh, and I really just uh, I really liked the character in that arc and uh, and she's just kind of stuck with me since then speaking of working with you know collaboration on, on a team what was it like to kind of midway through the run uh, approach Earth 2 World's End uh that was a, a weird experience it was um, only I remember when uh, I was not familiar with World's End when I came on to the project and then I you know I kind of did a lot of catch up and I remember calling the, the editor and I, I told him this is the most ambitious I, I can't believe what you guys are trying to pull off you know in these you know in this series um and uh you know it was fun it was it was it was interesting because I feel like I I learned a lot about things that I think work and what the things that I think work and I think do not work in a comic and and to me it was it was almost a, an exercise in identifying those things because uh, um, you know we had we had several writers writing this thing and then I would get the scripts and see you know all these different writers and different styles and my job was to make it uh, work seamless to try to make it as seamless as possible um, so that's a, that's that was, a tall order. Yeah, it was a, it was a, you know, it was it was interesting only because you know, like I said, you know, it was several writers all with different, very different styles, trying to accomplish a ton of stuff in a series. I mean, it was a, you know, it was insane how many things were going on in that book. Um, and then uh, you know, it was it, like I said, it was just interesting to me seeing. Uh, Seeing the kind of things that different writers do, seeing books from a different writer's uh, you know perspective, and then uh, and then you know actually making the book you know work the pieces work together, uh, you know most of the time it wasn't a it wasn't a tough project, but uh, there were you know there, some issues were tougher than others, and and there were so many moving pieces that we all had to keep straight. That was a, to me. I think that was the biggest challenge of that series is keeping all those moving pieces straight. Mm-hmm. Now I want to talk a minute about Lobo. Now recently, I guess this week, we found out the sad news that Lobo is ending. What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Spoiler. Um, what? What? How do as as a writer? I mean, that, that can't be a, a good feeling when the story is coming to an end. Do you, are you going to be able to kind of? end it the way you liked or like how do you approach the, the ending you know uh that's a tough question i don't even know how to ask it well no i, I get exactly it, it's one of those things uh if i had you know we i seeded a lot of different uh plot points for lobo and they will not be resolved by the end of the series not all of them um so the best we could do is 
tell the story that we think sets up Lobo for you know Lobo going forward. And I feel like those last two issues will will kind of uh, revisit everything we've done in the series. You know, to the degree we can, we'll, we'll kind of call back to a lot of the stuff that's going on in the series, and then. And then, yes, yeah, set up Lobo for the future, whatever that future may be. You know, I don't think this character's vanishing. He will show up in other books. Um, maybe, maybe on a, you know, on an ongoing basis. But uh, it's, uh, you know, we had to kind of figure out what elements we could wrap up and what elements we wanted to... Uh, to see, you know, to, to leave sort of as dangling threads for... Uh, for us, you know, uh, Frank Barbary and I are, are writing those last couple issues together, or for other creators, you know, in the future. Um, so it's, you know, it's all. I always plan for a long game, and, and I never really try to think in short arcs. But uh, um, you know, we're wrapping up what we can in the, you know, in those last couple of issues. What uh, what was it that kind of brought you to write Lobo in the first place? I mean, he's obviously a very different iteration of the character. Is that part of what was more attractive to you? Yeah, um, he had he was a blank slate, so uh, we were able to kind of go in and, and define um, his history to some degree and, and what makes him tick uh, without worrying about all the 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 stuff from 90s Lobo. Um, so so that was interesting to me, uh, being able to build this character from the ground up. Now, and what was it? Was it a lot of fun just bringing, it, bringing Sinestro over so you could play with both toys in the same sandbox? Yeah, uh, I, honestly, I kind of feel like that's when... It, it's a little sad that I didn't do something like that sooner um, because around the time of the Lobo annual where they we start bringing that crossover stuff together is is really where I feel like Lobo kind of hit its stride where the, I, I felt like that was the series I wanted to, to write with Lobo mm. um, so it's a little sad that it, it happened uh, relatively late in the game but uh, uh, it was still you know yeah it's it's great that I you know I was able to do it and, and have Lobo in two books that I'm writing you know that was that was cool for me, and and I think going forward, Lobo will continue to have a presence in the cosmic universe of you know the cosmic DC universe, so uh, or the cosmic side of things, side of DC. Uh, so you'll be seeing him, I'm certain, in in future issues of of Sinestro and and whatever else is out there. Now this week we also found out about Green Lantern Lost Army. Sadly, is also ending. Yes. Now. Um, that that's I, I I'm really more surprised uh, than anything that that would be ending. I I don't know why in my head I'm like, well, Lobo, it's sad, but it almost seems more likely to happen than a Green Lantern book. Yeah, it's it's a little sad. Um, look, Lost Army was always going to be a limited series. There was discussion of whether it was going to be a six issue series. Or a 12 issue series and I've always been of the camp that it needed to be a 12 issue series um, it still may I mean we may you may see a second lost army miniseries you know I have a 12 issue arc 
uh, for that story. And and I'm gonna, you know I don't think it's spoiling anything. They don't get home at the end of issue six. <laughs> Um, you know, and, uh, if, you know, if we, you know, if we don't have another six issue arc of Lost Army, um, you know, I'm sure that story will be told in the pages of other, you know, other books. Um, you know, I put a plan into, in place for, that connects to, you know, Lost Army and Sinestro in a big way. And, uh, you know, my, my understanding is that plan is still intact. So, so we'll see, uh. We'll see how that, you know, how that all plays out. Uh, the question is just if we'll have another Lost Army series, or if those events will play out in the pages of another book. Now, the uh, the concept for Lost Army again was that did that come more out of a kind of a pitch? They said, you know, we want to do a Green, Green Lantern book. What do you got? Or did they kind of pitch it to you directly? No, they pitched that one. That one was one. Uh, Matt Idelson had that in his mind when he came to me. You know, I think he came to me and said. Uh, we want to do a book called Green Lantern the Lost Army uh, all the Green Lanterns are removed from the DC Universe and uh, he wanted them to be in Relic's Universe so those all those elements came to me came to me from editorial and then I kind of had to you know work on making a story that you know would, would be interesting to read with those things in mind uh, I've actually a, a, a listener of the show has a question, which was, uh, "What is the current kind of status quo for the Red Lanterns?" Because it seems a little confusing. <laughs> uh, well, um, they are. Well, the next issue of Lobo will kind of revisit the Red Lanterns in a big way and set up a new status quo for them. Okay. So, uh, you know, I got a lot of heat for the last issue of Lobo because one of the Red Lanterns dies. Um, and apparently it's a Red Lantern a lot of people liked. <laughs> um, and and I, I get it. I understand, and I'm sorry that, you know, that character died. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, when I went into this, uh, when I went into this arc with the idea that Lobo would be hunting down other Lanterns, um, I told my editors, uh, you know, if Lobo's going to hunt down these other lanterns, and Lobo is the best assassin in the universe, then some of these lanterns have to die. And honestly, some of them have to die kind of quickly and, and almost offhandedly. You know, like Lobo could just kill them without, <laughs> without too much trouble. Uh, and, and that's, I think, what rubs some people the wrong way is that uh, Lobo kills this one Red Lantern in a pretty, you know, pretty gruesome, brutal fashion, and almost uh, like the Red, you know, almost offhandedly. But again, Lobo's the best assassin in the universe, so some people are going to die. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, the next issue of Lobo, he is, you know, he's going after the rest of the Red Lanterns. Okay. Well, I'm excited. Get ready to... if you're a fan of that cat. Buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of fans of that cat. Well, I'll expect to hear from them. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you had a uh, guy in Lost Army, how badly were you w- waiting to make the Christmas Lantern joke? I was, you know, I, I, I'll be honest. When I originally pitched guy in Lost Army. He was just going to be a Green Lantern. 
And my editor came and said, well, you know, he still has his red ring, and we still want him to have it. It's interesting. And, and so I was like, oh, so he's going to be red and green. <laughs> oh, uh, there was there was some discussion with editorial, uh, you know, and the editor at the time wanted, he said, well, maybe he's just red. And I was like, well, then why would he be there? The whole point is that Green Lanterns have gone, you know, have vanished. Um, so as soon as I realized he had both rings, then, yeah, I was ready to make the Christmas Lantern joke pretty quick. I was <laughs> I was excited about that. I didn't. I didn't think people would connect to that joke the way they did because I thought it was kind of just, ah, eh, you know, it's a, sort of a, you know, this funny little saying. But uh, that is what people always ask me about: is Christmas Lantern. Yep. Well, I guess when you're writing things that are, you know, humorous, you never know what's going to hit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it. Uh, uh, readers continue to surprise me. Uh, for better and worse, I you know I love it whether they whether they surprise me in that they react positively positively to something or that they react negatively to something. Uh, readers always surprise me with with these things because there was a big backlash that guy was even going to be in the book. Oh really? Uh, I had a lot of people who emailed me and you know didn't didn't like the guy was going to be in the book <laughs> and uh, and weren't going to read it because guy was going to be in the book. And, wow. and that's to me, it was shocking because Guy's my favorite Lantern. <laughs> uh, he's always been my favorite uh, Green Lantern, and uh, and I th- well, I think a lot of people thought he was going to be uh, upstaging John, mm. and that was a you know I think that's a legitimate fear, uh, especially when I'm very vocal of the fact that Guy's my favorite Lantern, um, but I'm also a guy that, you know, I'm also a writer who. I don't necessarily put my favorite characters in the spotlight. Uh, I've always said Lost Army, at least for the first six issues, was John Stewart's story. I wasn't going to let Guy, you know, you know, take that from him. No. As much as I like the character. Uh, the same fan who asked about, uh, or sorry, listener, I should say, who asked about the uh, Red Lantern kind of canon situation, he also had a special request because he wants to see some more outlandish, non-human shaped fear creatures. Fair enough. Will do. Uh, uh, th- I li- First of all, I like that you corrected it from fan to listener. <laughs> but, um, no, uh, I think uh, you will see, uh, you will definitely be seeing some some new strange fear creatures. Okay, that'll make him very happy. Uh, I'm trying to think of the issue number. Uh the next issue of Sinestro, we introduce uh, a, a new a new Fear Lantern that uh, is completely a couple of new Fear Lanterns, I think that uh, that are definitely uh, sort of out there. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to see that. Um, I, and the question that popped into my head when I re- when I was kind of looking through some of the more recent comics you've written, uh, we talked before about you know following up amazing runs on books. What was it like picking up Moon Knight after Warren Ellis and Brian Wood? Uh, that was a that was a, again a book that I've always wanted to write. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier, Moon Knight was one of the first things I ever pitched to mm-hmm. Marvel. Um, you know, when I met with them, the first time I met with them, anyone from Marvel face to face, it was a Moon Knight pitch that I sent them, and it was for a book called The Macabre Moon Knight, which was going to be Moon Knight dealing with a number of strange supernatural uh, occurrences. 
So I lifted a lot. You know, I didn't lift any of the stories I had written, you know, 10 years ago. But I did kind of want to use that vibe uh, with my Moon Knight run. And uh, I was a huge fan of the Warren Ellis stuff that, uh, you know, from the first six issues. Uh, the year that came out, I guess it was that last year. <laughs> I think like so. It, yeah, it feels like it's been a long time since yeah. it came out. When that came out, I said that was the best superhero comic of that year. So uh, I really liked his run on the book. Um, and I liked that he did six, you know, one and done stories. So I knew I only had five issues when, you know, when they called me, they said, we want to hire you to write five issues of this book. So I immediately said, I'm not going to try to write a five issue arc. I'm going to do five one and done stories similar to what Ellis did. And I'm going to make them stories that would have fit into, you know, the macabre moon night if I had ever gotten a chance to write that series. So, uh, so it was kind of, it was kind of nice. It was fun to, to write Moon Knight for, you know, five issues. Um, I'm glad I didn't immediately follow Warren on, on that book. Um, cause I, again, I thought they were, they were great. You know, his, his, his issues on it were amazing. Um, but, uh, but I'm proud of the, that series. I, I'm actually excited to see when that comes out in trade, uh, how it works as a, you know, as a single unit, really. Um, but I was, you know, and I was excited. I felt like readers really, uh, really enjoyed it. it. It's, it's interesting to me because the issue I liked the best seemed to be the issue that most people liked the best, uh, you know. And, and so it was nice to see I was actually on target there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and now, now we can talk a little bit more about Uncanny X Men because obviously that's the, that's the next hot thing. So, how did you? I mean, we, we've seen kind of glimmers of who the cast is going to be. How did you settle on the cast, or was again this where the toys kind of laid out in front of you and they said pick from these, or how did it kind of work? Well, no, um, with that one, uh, you know, when they came to me and said you're going to be, you know, would you like to write Uncanny X Men? And the cast was open to me. the The thing that I didn't want to do was use any character was already in Extraordinary X-Men, because that cast was already def- already in place for, for Extraordinary when I came on to Uncanny. Okay. So, I wanted to make sure my cast was different, and that the tone of my book was a different tone uh, from Extraordinary and from all new X-Men. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm... <laughs> I made a list of all the mutants that I really liked, <laughs> and it was a big, long list. I mean, it was, you know, you know, 40, 50 characters on this list. <laughs> and then I started coming up with all these various uh, team structures and, uh, and teams that I thought would work uh, in, in one, you know, one way or another. Um, and some of them were really bizarre teams. Can you give us a like you know who are some of those weird characters you didn't end up using? Well, I don't know that any of the characters were necessarily weird. I just felt like uh, some of the team makeups were strange. Like there was one version of the team had Rachel Gray and Nathan Gray on the same, and Cable were all on the same team. And I was like, well, you know, it was it was a very it was very much this, this strange you know Gray you know Summers Gray family team. Uh, and it was, and, and those were, you know, some of those teams were just, uh, 
you know, uh, Rachel Gray is one of my favorite characters. Uh, so I'll be honest, it was everything I could do not to put her in the book. Uh, you know, I really wanted her in the book. Uh, but at the end, I felt like she wasn't the right. You know, when I finally settled on what I was going to do, uh, she just didn't fit. And, and I'd rather not use her in a book she didn't work in uh, than, than, you know, satisfy my own love for the character. At what point and, did uh, Magneto become the, the leader you were going to use? Well, um, there was some, you know, there was some discussion on if we were going to relaunch the Magneto solo series. And we were going back and forth on if that was going to happen or not. And uh, Magneto was on several of the, the teams that I was trying to put together, but not as a leader. Um, and then, you know, as we were discussing Magneto's solo series, I just said, well, what if we put, what if we made this almost the continuation of the Magneto series and what happens after the fact, you know, after the world has ended, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, once I, I, you know, once I put Magneto in the leadership role, it kind of seemed to fit uh, with being a different tone, you know, this, a very different tone uh, from what Jeff is doing and, and from what Dennis is doing uh, in their books. Uh, and uh, it, it became, you know, it, so, and then it just became almost, uh, you know, it was, it was me sitting down saying, now I'm going to come up with the most badass team of X-Men. You know, I can come up with, and uh, and that's you know, you know, that's how all of those characters just kind of fell into place, uh, you know. From that point, you know, and still, even then, I still you know went back and forth on certain characters that were going to be on the team, and and you know, you know, it was you know there were certain characters that I was you know juggling between characters, <laughs> you know, it was a, am I going to use Gambit or am I going to use Phantom X, you know, and 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 it it really ended up coming down to what characters are appearing in other books and, and what other stories are out there. Uh, I thought you were going to say it was coming down to who had the best accent. Well, the, the, I, yeah, well, I, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, as I'm sitting writing, I'm talking in the accents of these characters or what I perceive to be the accents of these characters. And uh, I'm certain that, that Phantom X and, and Gambit would be fun for anyone to listen to. Um, but, you know, it, it, it just came down to wanting to tell this, uh, you know, to tell a different kind of story, um, I think it will be interesting to see this group of X Men trying to live up to uh, Xavier's dream in their own way. And uh, you know, it's a uh, like I said, it's a it's a pretty menacing group of X Men. <laughs> yeah. Now, are this the Sabretooth we see here? Is he still feeling the effects of Axis? Yes, Sabretooth in the series is still inverted. So, uh, in many ways, Sabretooth is the moral compass of this team. <laughs> Never thought I'd ever hear that before. Right? I know. Uh, when you have a team that Sabretooth is the moral compass, you know it's a, a pretty rough team. For sure. Uh, but, but yes, that is he is inverted uh, in, in this story. Will there be any references to his time spent as an Avenger? Uh, maybe. I probably won't. Uh, maybe, but I don't think I'm going to dwell on any of that. I'd rather it be, you know, relatively new reader friendly, you know, that, that I don't have to deal with a lot of the, the more recent stuff. And I guess I have to ask, and I'm sure you've been asked a lot, but um, of the cast, the one that really, you know, arches the most eyebrows seems to be Archangel. 
Yeah. Isn't that weird? What's going on? <laughs> Anything you can tease on that? Well, I could say that years ago, uh, I remember uh, like seven, eight years ago, I was sitting talking to friends, you know, as, as you know, comic fans do, and I said, what team would I put together if I had my favorite X-Men? You know, what, what would my X-Men team look like? And the one that I had to put on there was Archangel. I was like, Archangel. And this was, you know, I think this was even, you know, it was when he was just Angel again and not Archangel. And I was like, well, Archangel, you know. And uh, and uh, so I knew that Archangel was going to be on my team when I started putting this 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 darker version of X-Men together. Uh, the story that I have come up with as to why he's there is something I'm pretty excited about telling. I think it, it's going to be a really interesting, uh, strange story, and uh, you won't get to see it until pro- you won't. I won't tell that story until I, I guess starting with issue seven. Will you'll see the uh, you'll you'll find out what's going on with Archangel. So when the series starts, will he already kind of be Archangel, and then you'll kind of uh, you know pull back the curtain a little? Yes, he is. He is Archangel in the first issue. Well, so, it'll be interesting to see what the dynamic is with him, Phantom X, and Psylocke, because they obviously have some history. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what prompted you to bring M onto the team? M is a character who, you know, I read, you know, I read, genera- I loved Generation X when it came out way back when, but M was not a character that, uh, she was never my favorite character, and, and really... Uh, you know, I, I always, t- I always think when I'm doing these team books, I want to use a character who I don't necessarily like. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and what's strange is I put it because I think it challenges you. Uh, now that M's on this team, she's my one of my favorite parts of the book. Um, I I do like her attitude, her smugness, and her uh, her how she condescends to everyone around her, <laughs> and and she's a uh, She's an interesting character only because she's so multi, you know, she's so powerful when you really look at her, you know, as a whole. She can do almost anything. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, she she's she's pretty pow- a pretty powerful character, but none of her powers seem to measure up to that level of uh, of uh, of arrogance that she that she has. And uh, and I really uh I really wanted to have someone with that kind of, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, it could be a pretty grim team, and, and M's arrogance kind of uh, helps me, uh, you know, it, it kind of brings some levity to the book a little bit, and, uh, and, and and gives me a different vibe with the characters, and I think her interaction with the, the rest of the team will be interesting for people. Now, in seeing uh, Mystique and Sabretooth, will you be building off of you know their cur- their recent interactions in the Wolverines miniseries? I will. I mean, we will touch on that stuff. Um, you know, some time has passed since Secret Wars. You know, when we come back in, uh, you know, eight months has passed in the Marvel Universe. So some things have, have happened in between that will kind of take precedence over those events. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I'm not going to forget the things that uh, have have transpired, and you know I've had a lot of people say, "How can uh, you know how can this team function without you know tearing each other's throats out?" Um, and the real answer to that is, what makes you think they're going to function without?
each other before they can do anything else. What made you decide to use Mystique? Because it's an interesting, I mean, if you look at kind of uh, people who've been leaders of teams, Mystique and Magneto have both led prior iterations of the Brotherhood, so it's interesting. They're both leadership kind of uh, figures. You know what I liked the most about it was that they've never been on a team together in the comics. I think we've seen them interact in the comics, uh, but really even that's relatively recent. But Mm -hmm. I don't think they've ever been on a team together. Besides the movies, I think you're yeah, right. <laughs> besides the movies. And uh, and I just, uh, yeah, I've always liked Mystique. I've always liked the character. I think she's been portray- portrayed recently in so many different ways that it's gotten a little frustrating uh, for readers because they see her, you know, acting, you know, drastically different from issue to issue. Although that, and, she is a character you could totally earn a no prize on by explaining it because she's a shapeshifter well i'm gonna earn my no prize so (laughs) so uh we're going to be dealing you know one of the you know when i each of these characters i kind of wrote up uh you know a little stat sheet of what you know what storyline what's the plot that is character specific for each of them and i'm I'm excited about the storyline for mystique uh, you know, I'm excited about all of them, but Mystique's storyline and Sabretooth's, you know, back, you know, the plot lines for those two characters are pro- and all right, and Archangel. Those three characters are the ones that I'm I'm super excited to get to. But I'm playing a long game with each and every one of them. I'm going to be doling out pieces of those plot lines in small bits and pieces as the series continues. Now, as you have the pages coming in, what's the experience of working with Greg Land? Yeah, it's been great. Uh, I think. You know, the entire first issue is complete now, and uh, I think it looks. I'm I'm really happy with it. I think it, I think I think people are really going to like it. I think it's uh, I think it's a great looking book. I think uh, you know I think it's 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 exciting for me to see you know this you know these characters uh, you know on a book that's going to be you know Uncanny X Men that I wrote, but. Uh, no, I think I think it's uh, you know it's been great working with Greg and uh, like I said I'm I'm pretty excited about the way the book looks. Excellent. Well, I'm really excited to uh, give that a read. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. hoping that pretty soon they'll be releasing some preview pages from it. Um, I'm not sure when that'll happen, but hopefully soon. Now, before we uh, we let you go for the evening, I do want to ask you some questions about Aquaman if you uh, are okay with chatting about it. Sure. What, um, you know, you kind of jumped on Aquaman as it came out of the Convergence era. What was it like getting that that task? Um, Again, was it something you pitched? Did they come after you for it? Uh, Well, they came to me and asked me to, you know, asked me what I would do with Aquaman. And there were some, there were some guidelines for the character, things they wanted me to make sure that I was doing with, with the series, but they didn't really define the the opening arc but you know there were some things like his new look you know he, he was going to have a new look and he was going to you know there were there were certain story elements they wanted me to to focus on and uh or not focus on but to make sure i included um so you know i came out of that and i said well this is kind of what i would do with with aquaman you know with those guidelines that you've given me and you know came up with this uh the the storyline that we're in right now um were I mean, the it was, were it the al- sorry were the alterations to his powers again something that was dictated from editorial or was that more of your own concept? No, that was me. Yeah, the, the power 
powers, the, the alteration to his powers uh, came from me. Um, the, the the new trident came, you know, that was part of Trevor. Trevor McCarthy and I were, uh, you know, when we were brainstorming what, you know, what we were going to do with him, uh, that came from that. So the, the power, the power shift was more, uh, was more my idea, I think. It's interesting reading that book that it feels like almost like you're writing two different Aquaman. And I mean that in a good way, but seeing the flashbacks and then the, the current stuff, uh, was that always kind of a, uh, a, a self-aware decision that you were making to kind of show that there is something has happened to this character and then slowly bridging the gap? Yeah, um, I felt like changing the character in such a drastic way, uh, sort of suddenly, because, you know, you come out of Convergence and boom, you know, you're right in the middle of, of this new Aquaman. <laughs> you know, you're dealing with where, you know, with this new storyline. I felt like, uh, as much as that was, that was cool and interesting, I felt like, uh, it would be easier for readers that loved Aquaman to see the classic little bit at the same time so that's why for the first three issues you know we're kind of bouncing back and forth between classic look aquaman and, and more of a classic aquaman and this new version of uh, of aquaman have you ha- had any like what as you've been writing it what has surprised you most in terms of what you've been enjoying writing about aquaman uh you know it's a. Uh, you know, I feel like the, the interesting thing with Aquaman for me is is sort of this. Uh, he's he's kind of this uh, this for me anyway. He's always been sort of the science fantasy character, and that's the thing that I, that I've enjoyed uh, about Aquaman the most um, is is sort of the 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 weird stories he could potentially be you know be embroiled in. Um, you know, it's interesting with Aquaman. You know. Fans again surprised me because, you know, they they really came out of the woodwork <laughs> when uh, when the series was first announced and they they found out that Aquaman was going to to be on the run from Atlantis and that uh, Mara was seemingly you know commanding the forces of Atlantis to uh, to to hunt him down and I got a lot of uh, uh, a lot of hate over that. <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of negative feedback from people, and uh, and and hate mail and everything else. So, <laughs> um, you know, and when they found out that uh, that no, you know, in, in the last last issue that came out, we kind of revealed that uh, that maybe all was not as it seems, and uh, and most of the people have uh, have forgiven, you know, have maybe uh, forgiven that a little bit. But uh, but I don't know if all of them have or not because I'll be honest. Uh, I was getting so much feedback and so much negative feedback and hatred on uh, on Twitter. I had to block a bunch of people, so I don't know if they like it now or not. I just blocked them just so I didn't have to deal with it. Oh, wow! <laughs> and you know, I'm I'm a, I can take I can take uh, I can take uh, you know criticism is is one thing, but when uh, you know it, when it gets down to just pure. Uh, loathing seething hate you know i don't need to deal with that <laughs> fair enough um what do you have uh, long-term plans for aquaman or are you only staying on for like a little while or what's the what's uh what have you heard anyway well you know we'll see uh you know we we've we've got a plan for this arc that we're in 
Yeah, the 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 uh, the Thule. We're calling it the Thule Arc with this other version of Atlantis and these invasions that are, are taking place. Uh, you know, in the in, in, all across the world, we've got a plan to, to wrap that storyline up in in a few in, in a few issues. Uh, and then there, you know, there may be some uh, some crossover potential coming up with some other titles uh, that I'm pretty sure I'm not allowed to, to say what might be going on there. Um, but uh, so there may be some crossover stuff coming up uh, in the in, you know once we wrap this storyline up, and uh, and then you know we're in talks about what would be next. All right. Uh, do you have anything that last uh, that you'd like to uh, to plug that we haven't already chatted about? No, I you know I just say uh, you know, check you know you can go to my you can go to my uh, my website you know is is cullenbun.com or you can you can follow me on Twitter at, at you know at cullenbun and you can throw some hate my way or, or whatever <laughs> and you know I, I won't block you immediately for your for your for seething hatred uh, it'll just it, you know we'll, we'll see how how much seething hatred I, you can get away with before I, I block you maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that's encouraging yeah uh, I, I would uh, I, I gotta be I have to be uh, honest with you for a second I have been remiss in that I've only recently started going back and reading Sixth Gun so at some point I would like to have you back on the show once I've read it so I can yeah. actually talk to you about it because it's I know it's a huge part of, of your career in comics and it's been ongoing in the middle of everything else and I would be horribly remiss if I didn't at least mention it and that I am, you know, going through it right now so I would like to chat with you about it sometime in the future. Yeah, you know, you know, we talked a lot about the Marvel and DC stuff, but uh, you know, it, you know, I think if people like my stuff or, or are interested in the books I've written, I think check out The Six Gun is is probably, you know, like I said it's you know, we're getting close to wrapping that storyline up. You know, we're going to end that series with issue 50, which comes out, you know, early next year. Um, but, uh, but it's a book I'm pretty proud of, uh, you know, if, if it's a, if it sounds interesting to you, it's a, you know, it's an epic fantasy in the old West. If that sounds interesting to you, you can read the first issue online for free. You know, there's a link to it right on my website. Um, and it, and then you can see if you're going to like the book or not. And, and if it's willing, if you're, if it's something you might want to, you know, try out and trade, um, and there's plenty of trades to, to catch up on. And then, uh, you know, I'm also doing a, a book called Harrow County for Dark Horse that I'm pretty excited about. Our fourth issue just came, our fifth issue just came out. Um, so uh, you might check that out as well. Um, you know, there's, you know, I do a lot of the Marvel and DC stuff, but uh, but I also do a lot of these creator-owned books that uh, I'm pretty proud of. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, for uh, for chatting about your career in comics and giving us some, uh, some teases to look forward to uh, in the future. <laughs> Anytime, anytime, yeah. And uh, anyone who's listening, please, you know, once you know some of these things come out, I'd, I'd love to hear what you think uh, when you know when X Men comes out and things like that, and when some of these storylines resolve. So you know, hit me up on Twitter. I'm I'm out there. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us. All right. Thanks so much, man. All right. Bye bye.